The Lance Wall Now Show is coming at you live from the master himself, with a special broadcast taken from one of Lance's most recent appearances. Tune in and get ready for some major revelation. Jesus is coming. And in time, Jesus will deal with your enemies. In time, Jesus will deal with the demons that, uh, that are after your inheritance. Many of you have been not at war with the spirits that are after your children. You need to realize that you're at war with these demons. And you've got, to, you've got to be in a position and a mentality that will judge the work of the devil and not just overlook the work of the devil. You have to have this end-time understanding that Jesus is coming to judge. So we take a look at Haggai, and we have an interesting revelation here. And it says, okay, good. Well, it's only two chapters, so we can start anywhere and, and pretty much be done with it fast. <laughs> here is the, for those of you that can see this. It was Chuck Missler who actually got me thinking about this, and Kim Clement, my buddy, the prophet, got me listening to Chuck Missler. 1948 was a big year. It was a year when Israel was restored back, 1947, 1940, Israel was restored back. It was a singularly important year because Israel's like God's cosmic timepiece in the Bible. It all started in the Middle East. It all goes back to the Middle East. It started basically with the Jewish people. It ends back with that, that area of real estate being the, the center of drama. Now, when Israel, after 2,000 years of being scattered all over the world so that they had no common language, they had no common history for 2,000 years, for them to come back to the same real estate and have it unoccupied, to have the same language, the same customs, the same beliefs, the same traditions, the same religion, and pick up where they left off is nothing short of a sociologic phenomena. There's no tribal group in the world that's been dispersed. The Mayans weren't dispersed 2,000 years and came back practicing the same Aztec religion with pyramid sacrifices with the same language. So Israel comes back. And uh, what Missler said is, that's a sign that everything that happens in the Bible, in the return of Israel to their Holy Land, everything written in the Bible that has to do with the return of Israel is a prophetic key to the pattern of end time events. So you see, you could, I don't run after prophets who are trying to swing for the fences and say, who is DeSantis or Trump going to run or what's, what's going to happen with the stock market? That's adolescent. What I want to know is, what's the overriding storyline? It's like if you just studied Chuck Pierce and the prophets that deal with the Hebraic seasons, you'll know this is the month of Adar, the month of this, when kings go forth to war. Then your ear is attuned to, I'm looking for war in the earth. I'm looking for war, John. Then you're looking at conflict. You're anticipating where the wars are. So in other words, there's different templates you could drop that help you interpret the times and seasons. And wise people find the right templates so that they could kind of like put a filter up for what to look for. Does that make sense so far? Here's the filter I want to give a glow. It's the filter the Lord gave me that helped me understand Trump, helped me understand predicting accurately what I said. Trump would be a modern-day Cyrus. I put it out there, and it actually ended up happening. Benjamin Netanyahu goes to the White House after Trump moves the embassy to Jerusalem. 
And Netanyahu says, um, Mr. Uh, Mr. President, the Jewish people have a long memory and we remember Cyrus of old and we will always remember you. I was getting hammered by the Daily Beast, by BuzzFeed, by Rolling Stone, by New York Times as the as a catalytic evangelical who helped gather like two million votes for Donald Trump that put him in office under the under the narrative of he is a modern day Cyrus. And they were hammering me about the Cyrus thing because they'd left figured out evangelicals voted for him. They never should have voted for him. And they did vote for him because some clown said he doesn't have to be a Christian. He's a Cyrus. And that was me. And my phone was buzzing with references to me that were hostile because I had a goopy thing called Google Alerts. A friend of mine said, why don't you find out when they're talking about you? So I put Google Alerts on my phone, be buzzing every day. Every time it was negative, nobody would say anything positive. Then the phone stopped. I knew something happened. And I checked the news. Netanyahu just linked Donald Trump to Cyrus. And so all my critics had to shut their mouths because I was vindicated out of the mouth of the Prime Minister of Israel. So what I want you to see is, when they returned in 1948, it kicks into the story of the Jews returning back from Babylon to Israel to rebuild their temple. You catch what I'm saying? Missler says, if you wanna know the end time pattern, go to what happens when Israel is brought back and is restored and we have the account in the Bible, in the certain books, books like Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, uh, Ezekiel, and uh, the book of Esther. And so he says, those books are gonna be some of the books that are opened, that Daniel said, that would be opened in the last days to give us insight into exactly what God's doing. You track with me so far? So Cyrus comes along, and when Cyrus comes along, he comes along because Jeremiah and Isaiah had prophesied. There was a whole lot of prophecy over America for a long time, from Cindy Jacobs to Chuck Pierce to Bill Hammett, about what God was doing. Then the prophetic kind of like dissipated a bit and got, got kind of fragmented. But there was intercession and prophecy. We rode on the waves of that for years, praying for revival and stuff. I believe that all those, the Isaiah prophesied Cyrus... And he said that uh, Cyrus, 120 years before Cyrus was on the scene, Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 45. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, he called the guy by name before he was born, 120 years before he was born. It's in your Bible. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, Daniel, who was alive during Cyrus's first three years of his administration, Daniel showed Cyrus the prophecy and that that was the catalyst behind Cyrus wanting the Jews to go back and rebuild their temple and pray for him. So we have Isaiah, Jeremiah says 70 years of Babylonian captivity, then it's going to end. Daniel is praying, reading Jeremiah's prophecy. Isaiah prophesied 120 years later, he said Cyrus is going to come from Babylon and he's going to invade Babylon. They could, Daniel could see Cyrus was the answer to Jeremiah's prophecy and he could read the clock. It was going down to its 70th year. It's interesting, which tells you 
True prophets should be humble enough to be reading what each other is saying. Because Daniel is reading Jeremiah. So I'm listening to everybody to hear what's going on. But here's the part. I'll come back to it tomorrow. Cyrus refers to rulers that God raises up for the sake of his people. Isaiah 45. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, whom I've anointed, though he does not know me. You will go through the two gates of Babylon. You will break the iron bars. You will plunder the treasures of darkness. You will undo the belts of your adversaries. And I'm going to do this for my people's sake, though you do not know me. Donald Trump goes into Babylon out of nowhere, plunders, puts China, Russia, everybody on notice. The whole world is backed up. Still puts together the Abraham Accords in the Middle East and forges a relationship around Israel with its enemies and secures it. He literally undoes the belts of his adversaries and is such a threat that they have to internally take him out because he's an outsider messing up the plans of people that were controlling America. But the fact is, after Cyrus, there was a bad ruler. After the bad ruler, there was a good ruler. So even there, the prophecies, if you look at what's in the Bible, you'll see history unfolding. You know, we're living in an age where Christians are nervous. Christians are waffling in their commitment. Preachers aren't really preaching a clear message. We don't know if we're raptured out or if we're supposed to go to the voting booth and take a stand. The truth of the matter is all that confusion dissipates when you get a fresh revelation of Jesus. God wants to give the church a fresh discovery of who Jesus is because Jesus actually manifests himself in different ways in different periods of time. When he first came, John the Baptist was very confused. He had seen the Lord coming with a baptism of fire and he was going to burn up the chaff and he was going to shake things up. And Jesus actually came as a sacrifice. Well, end time Jesus is coming back as the judge of nations. And most Christians are looking for the lamb. He's coming as a lion. Now, if you get this revelation of who Jesus is right now, it doesn't dissipate the beauty of his merciful forgiveness or his love. It just adds this realization that he's coming with authority and he wants his church to straighten up its back and begin to realize that the soon coming king is coming as the judge of nations. The revelation of end time Jesus will put a mantle in your life that will embolden you with clarity and confidence. The thing that is missing most in the body of Christ, the fear of the Lord, and the boldness of the first century church is about to come to you with this powerful revelation. Go to LanceWallnow.com, uh, End Times Jesus. That's LanceWallnow.com forward slash End Times Jesus. And you're going to hear this explosive, fresh, new revelation that just came to me recently this year that God wants the church to straighten up and strengthen itself because Jesus is coming with the armies of heaven and he's coming to do battle. But what Cyrus said was, go back and rebuild the house. Build the house. What kind of a house was it? It was a temple. What kind of a temple was it? For the nation. It wasn't a local synagogue. I spent two weeks at a book. Had to get the book out before the election. I was stuck. I said, God, I know there's a pattern here. I can say it, but I don't understand it. Cyrus, you put a Trump in office. We'll have bad leaders come in office. We'll have good leaders come in office. But in the midst of that year, we're praying for rulers and for political issues. What are you doing? And the Lord says, I want you to build my house. 
That's why you could be here in Dakota at a glow. And my word for you is what you're doing is you make you, it's good to touch the legislature. It's good to go after these big targets, the seven mountains of everything. But you know what? You're not responsible for Hollywood and for Wall Street and for Washington, except be faithful to do what you're called to do. You're responsible for your own region, your own city, your own state. And there the secret is you've got to build the house that God's given you. And the house is being reformatted now from the local church only to the ecclesia. The ecclesia, we keep talking about the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the ecclesia. What is it? It's where two or more are gathering together around the activity that Jesus is inviting them into and praying into the assignment God gave them. They're on the adventure of administrating the kingdom of God up against the gates of hell. And if you're in those small groups like your tables right now, and you're praying together, and you've got an assignment from heaven, and if you don't know what it is, you want to live a long life and have an adventure, start praying together with the ecclesia near you for God to show you what he has you doing. You've got your own priorities. It happens. You have a sickness over here, a kid that is backslid. You know, those are your normal concerns. What you want to do is say, apart from that, what's the assignment you have us on in this region, in this city, in this state? Here's my friends. We're just here to host your presence. And until you show us what it is, we're just going to enjoy you. But we're looking, Lord. Then when the assignment drops down, guess what you are? You are, you are the ecclesia that is the church that goes up against the gates of hell. You're not spectators with popping popcorn. You're actually participants in the arena. And your battle is as significant as my battle or anyone else's battle because you're actually in the battle God put you in. Does that make sense to you? I said, well, where is this ecclesia, Lord, the house? The Lord says, what I'm doing is I'm rebuilding. The Jews had to go back and, and build the temple, a supernatural temple for the nation. God said, I'm building my house right now. COVID shut everyone down for a year and a half. Did anybody notice even the church shut down? What was God doing? Reset. He was shutting down everybody. This isn't going, and it went picked right back up where it was. But something, still, something ain't right. We feel it. There's something not right. I'm telling you what it is. He's raising up his house, and his house is an ecclesia. It's made up of a combination of local assemblies and uh, small groups that have task force, task assignments that God has them on. I said, well, Lord, I need a little Bible verse for that. This sounds a little radical. Peter Wagner agreed with this, by the way, before he died. He said, this will go off. This will be so explosive, Lance. Got to be careful. He said, but I agree. Because here's what I found out. Daniel 2, when Daniel assembled with, uh, and he, his life was under threat of destruction because Nebuchadnezzar wanted to have these wise men tell him his dream and his interpretation. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 2, that Daniel met with Shadrach, Reshach, and Abednego in the house. And they sought mercies of the God of him. They had an ecclesia prayer group and a home meeting. And if they could have a home meeting at the top of the mountain of Babylon, at the top of the government mountain, God had the Hebrews with an ecclesia meeting in private to administrate and legislate the future of the Babylonian nation. So the Lord said to me, don't tell me you can't do this with Democrats and Republicans if Daniel could do it with Babylonians. 
I said, well, Lord, increase my faith. This is a totally different paradigm. You're talking about house meetings, small ecclesias of people that gather together, that get divine assignments, divine revelation, entering into the dream life of rulers. When I was sitting down here and just loving the worship, I was saying, man, I remember this one lady. I heard her in this tape, intercessor. And I got to figure out, where did I hear this? Because I haven't run into these people in so long. But she said her and brother so-and-so were the only two people that could move in this realm of intercession during the Clinton administration. They went up into the spirit and God sent them into the White House to clean things out. And they were cleaning things out. She goes, it's hard to put into words, but there's some dark stuff going on there that, well, brother so-and-so, he understands this. He moves in the same flow. But he says, yep. The two of them would get in the Holy Ghost and just like Elisha could sneak into the tent of the enemies and hear what they were saying, you could slip in as an intercessor and go into the White House and start pulling out the darkness and evacuating the demons that are controlling things. And she would do it. I thought, man, I love, where are the intercessors like that? That's just not praying some nervous prayers and saying a song. These people were getting in a flow where they were literally going into a vein where they're in the, in the clouds of heaven doing stuff. Well, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's exactly what they did. They got into the dream life of Nebuchadnezzar, visited his dreams. Remember one time I was with Larry Randolph and Bob Jones. Bob Jones is a friend of mine. And Mike Bickle told Bob, told Rant Larry, he said, look, I've got a uh, English... Uh, British professor coming, Kansas City. He's coming to hear Bob tonight. He, he's infatuated with Bob, but I want you to hang out with him, kind of like when they go out to eat. And, you know, if Bob starts to, you know, say something that's a little bit strange, just help explain it to the professor. So Larry's got his job to help protect the professor from the eccentricities of the prophet. So Bob's ministering that night, and they go out to eat. They're sitting down there at dinner. Bob leans in and says, hey, hey, last night while you were sleeping, I was hovering over your dream life, seeing what was going on. <laughs> and Larry clears his throat and says, excuse me, Bob. Now what Bob means is that in the prophetic, we, we have the ability to be able to sense things that are outside of normal. We go, Bob goes, shut up, Larry. I know exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Shut up, Larry. <laughs> Larry shuts up. He goes, now what I'm saying is, I was here hovering over your dream life there, and I noticed you're upset about your daughter because she's in an affair with a married man, and it bothers you. She's going to be calling you up in 24 hours to tell you she's breaking that up because God's hearing your prayers. Just stop it. <laughs> the man puts his fork down and says, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. Poor Larry. He gets rebuked by Bob, trying to do his job, hovering over your dream life. How many of you would love to be able to hover over a dream life and help people? So understand when I'm talking about end time Jesus, I'm saying we got to get more radical. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We got to get out of our, our, our kind of lazy love lane and get into the warrior zone. So these guys are having their ecclesia gathering in Babylon, hovering over the dream life of Nebuchadnezzar. And then the next day they go and interpret his dream life and he's freaked out 
and promotes Daniel, who promotes his three friends. It was an inside Jewish thing. He pulls them up. Now they're overseeing even more. What I'm trying to say to you is the pattern. I know it's looking messy here. God will be pray for rulers. But then what's God's plan? His house. So when you go to Haggai, an 80 year old cranky Jewish prophet, he says, Cyrus said we're supposed to go back and rebuild the temple. Well, 40,000 out of who knows how many, a million Jews, 40,000, a remnant, it says, go back and rebuild the temple. That's what happens. We all get comfortable where we're at. We love the Lord, but how many are willing to go on the adventure and turn when the Lord says turn or not? Off they go to a hostile land, occupied by angry Arabs. Jewish people, after 70 years, have to leave what they built, their businesses, their gardens, their houses, their investments. They've got to start all over and schlep. The well, when they get down there, they just spend an inordinate amount of time rebuilding their houses, replanting their gardens, restoring their house, or getting, their getting a little bit of economy going. And they met about the house, but I mean, they were there for that. They showed their faithfulness. It wasn't good enough. 80-year-old prophet comes out, old Jewish man. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Chapters 1, verse, there's only two chapters here. Verse uh, 7, consider your ways. You brought in a whole lot and you got little. You're having economic woes. You're seeing the banks collapse. You're seeing economic, you know why? Because you're all still fixated on you and I want a house. Now, American true Christians don't want to hear this message. We're going to tell you something. Nothing wrong with God loves you. He cares about you. You're sweet. But he's, he loved those little Jewish people that answered his call to go back. But he's rebuking them and saying, you want to know how come things are still chaotic? Because you're still trying to figure out how to make things work out for you. And you're not giving me what I want. I want a supernatural house. I don't want what was there before. I want you to rebuild the new thing I'm doing. And make yourself, by the way, it's made up of living stones. So it's not a building. You're the house and I want some new things. That's why it makes sense to me that most of us are like over 50, but this is the stone. We are the stones that were in the structure that God is reconfiguring for the new house. He says, you want to know how come you brought in a lot and I blew it away? Because my house is desolate while everyone's running to his own house to get their own life in order. I'm telling you, I want a house for the nation. I want a church for this nation. I want a church big enough to take on Satan in the nation. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord says, I got Zerubbabel, I got Joshua, the governor and the priest. Now this is this is a high-level revelation. It's going to drop it on you. This is the this is the priesthood call of the pastor, the preacher the aglow minister, and the seven mountain person, the business person, the political person, the local lawyer. God said, I want the secular saint and the saint that is in my service in my church to come together and supervise this building project. We have to find that legislator. We have to find that person who's fighting the devil in the secular lonely areas where we don't give them the support because they're not they don't, they don't run with us, but we got to find out where the righteous ones are and get around them. If I learned something about Cyrus, 
I learned that chapter 45 of Isaiah, verily thou art a God that hides himself. To this day, I got Michael Brown and other people that don't like Donald Trump. They just can't stand him. I'm saying, don't you, haven't you learned anything? You didn't like him the first time. You don't like him now. You never liked him. Have you ever, ever occurred to you that God will pick somebody that offends your flesh? And America, God's going to use people that will offend our flesh. Why? Because he ain't that impressed with the job we're doing. So here, come, here comes Cyrus. And I'm looking at him and going, how weird. Why would God choose to anoint? Why would he use the word anoint a foreigner? You understand how the Jewish people had a problem with this? We don't really read the Bible. They were having a problem because they were looking for their messianic deliverer to come from Israel. They're praying for the Messiah. And God sends a heathen. And then he anoints a heathen. Well, this is the exact opposite of what I heard in my five-part Benny Hinn series on the anointing. <laughs> this holiness is a price to pay for the anointing. It's like, oh, God chose, God, God don't choose. And then I looked at it historically. I said, look, you got, you got Churchill, you got Lincoln. None of them were the darling of the re revivalists of their day but they were the ones God chose. Can we have the maturity to see that God will choose? And it really doesn't matter whether they, they check off all your Sunday school Baptist boxes. The question you're going to ask is, are they anointed? They'd have the discerning to recognize the anointing. I found out a lot of Baptists don't like the term anointing. Well, it's tough. They prefer blessing. Well, it's going to be even harder to see how God is blessing somebody that isn't a saint. But that's Lincoln, that's Churchill. And that was Trump till he said five sinner's prayers. I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about him now. He said the sinner's prayer so many times. I think he, has, he thinks he's got to get saved every time he meets one of us. <laughs> so Cyrus rulers, whether you like him or not, pray for them. Because they give you the environment where you can build God's house. What kind of a house? The ecclesia. What kind of ecclesia? A, a small group. And it's a house that's built out of, please hear this, it's the Zerubbabel's and it's the Joshua's. It's the priests and it's the governors. We need to have, oh, this will really go down like a rat sandwich. We need to have Christians engaged in government because government needs Christian influence or hell will take it over. Why well, you sound like a Christian nationalist? Only because the devil has made that term toxic. Trust me, they call, in the first century, Christian was toxic. It's just that we out-survived the term and ended up redefining it. A Christian nationalist is someone who's born again that loves their country. How bad is that? What am I supposed to do? Be like everyone else, a Christian that hates the country? Well, how quick will it be before this country no longer exists? So the house, the ruler, and then what happened next? Remember, I'm saying the 1948 is we're in the era of the Cyrus and we're in the era of the book of Haggai. 
It's right there. And we're in the era of the book of Nehemiah. The God's already told us what the story is. And I'm telling you, if you stick with this narrative, you will miss prophetically because you see the great arc of where God's going. He wants to raise up his people. This will end up being probably states and cities. You're going to see more and more divisions coming between the Californias and the Washingtons and the Floridas and the Texas. And you'll see the federal government with trying to pack the courts. They're trying to impose laws and the states pushing back because it's going to be sheep and goat nations and sheep and goat states. Just watch it. Why? Because the Bible takes you there. It's sheep and goats. It's those that are trying to align with Jesus and those that are trying to overthrow it. The house, what makes the difference? Whether the house is strong. The house is strong in Florida. The house is strong in Texas. That's the only conclusion I can come to. Now, there could be a whole lot of Christians in California, but guess what? They don't vote. Therefore, the house is weak because the pastors are woke. So Cyrus, then the house. Then Nehemiah comes along. Oh, look at this. How about this? It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be a governor, Nehemiah, and Ezra. It's going to be a priest. Here we go. It's the church and the government again. It's political and the church. It's a ruler and the government and the ruler and the church getting together and saying, with a remnant, we can rebuild. The first group had to rebuild the church. The second group had to rebuild the walls and the gates. Well, what is that, Brother Lance? Well, you put the church over here. This is your religious freedom. If you don't surround that religious freedom with a circle, if you don't circle that so that you have protection for freedom of speech and the right to gather and the right to do what you want to do, I'll tell you what they'll do. They'll take your freedom of speech away, and I can't preach because I'm locked up because I've got hate speech. Now, the gospel can't be preached, like in Canada. So you have to draw a circle around your religious freedom. That's called your walls and your gates. That's your legislation. That's your public opinion. That's your evangelism. That's your states. That's your sheep cities, sheep states, sheep counties. That's where the gospel goes out. And by the way, the gates. What gates, brother? Well, they're called the gates of influence. I did seven mountains. Seven mountains equals equals seven gates. Education is one of them. You're going to have to go occupy the gates. If you don't, the drag queen hour will. So you got to have education. Then you're going to have to have the same thing that's got to do with business. You can't have the businesses all being woke, having, having the banks shutting you down because you don't subscribe to the orthodoxy of what they want politically. This is where the battle is right now. You know, the Bible says that you can renew your youth like the eagle. Joel says that I'll restore to you the years. We don't even think about these promises much, but listen, when you get to my age, and like I'm 67 years old, you wouldn't know to look at me, but I plan on running strong. And you know what? About two months ago, I started getting a text uh, a blitz of four friends of mine, my age group, who are all going in for emergency heart procedures. I said, hold it right there. Renewing our youth, longevity, strengthening our heart, finding out how to preemptively anticipate where physical infirmity would try to take us out. That's my priority. This year, I want you to join me. Go to lancewilla.com forward slash summit. 
I'm going to go to the beautiful Trump Doral in Florida, and I'm bringing experts with me. Dr. Jordan Rubin, I said, are there longevity secrets? He said, let me talk to you about collagen and intermittent fasting. I talked to Dr. Chancey Crandall. He said there is an extensive panel of tests that can be done that will preemptively anticipate where the enemy might want to take you out. And I looked at this list of geniuses we've got. Dr. Neil Goodman talks about the insights of reversing the brain fog, fatigue of long effects of COVID. And Christy Nickel, who's a young lady who is transforming bodies with fitness and weight loss. I can't go into all of it. We even have a miracle service. When they're done teaching, we're going to see God supernaturally restoring years. Go to lancewoman.com forward slash summit. I'm going there and I'm looking forward to seeing you because this year is going to be a strong year. Start the year off smart at the summit. Join Lance at the Health and Wellness Summit to discover secrets of longevity, strengthening your heart, and transforming your body. Go to lancewallnow.com forward slash summit to reserve your spot now. Did you enjoy this latest episode? Please remember to share it with your friends, because the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to navigate the world.